psalmist says, Great is the Lord and most worthy is praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Uh, it's impossible for us to describe the greatness of our God. It's impossible for us to fathom the greatness of our God. But it is a blessing to us to dwell on the greatness of our God. The more we dwell on God, the more we're drawn to God. The more we look to God, the more we love God. The more we think about God, the more we trust in God. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Galatians chapter 1. We are making our way through this first chapter of Paul's letter to the believers in these churches in Galatea. Paul's words to these believers are relevant for us today. They are encouraging to us today. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a late pastor, doctor, and author, said this, the ultimate choice of the Christian life is always the choice between pleasing self and pleasing God. We face this choice every day throughout the day. Paul understood this choice, Paul faced this choice, and Paul wrote about the importance of this choice in this first chapter. One of the accusations of the false teachers against Paul was that Paul was a people pleaser. They said Paul was trying to please people specifically the Gentile converts, because he was preaching and teaching salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus, not salvation by works. They said he's a people pleaser, these false teachers and Judaizers. And in verse 10 of chapter 1, Paul responded to them, and Paul said, for am I now trying to please and persuade people or God? Or am I still trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul responded to the accusations from the false teachers with a resounding no. I am not trying to please people. If Paul wanted to please people, he would not have rebuked these believers. He would not have rebuked the false teachers and Judaizers. He would not have pronounced a curse on anyone who preaches or teaches a different false gospel. And he certainly wouldn't have said anything to the Jews that would have potentially resulted in him being persecuted by the Jews. Now, Paul was a God-pleaser, not a people pleaser. Paul wanted to please God, not people. A people pleaser seeks to please people. Therefore, a people pleaser is dependent on people. A people pleaser feels accepted as long as people accept them. A people pleaser feels liked as long as people like them. A people pleaser feels loved as long as people love them. A people pleaser feels valued as long as people value them. This is a dangerous way to live because it puts people in the place of God in our lives. A God-pleaser seeks the approval of God. Therefore, a God-pleaser is dependent on God. 
A God-pleaser is humble before God. A God-pleaser confesses their sin to God. A God-pleaser walks in obedience to God. A God-pleaser loves God and loves people. A God-pleaser will not delight in anyone or anything more than God. A God-pleaser will not depend on anyone or anything more than God. A God-pleaser will not be distracted by anyone or anything from God. We know that pleasing God is not always easy, but it is always best. Paul said, I make it my aim, my desire, each day to be pleasing to God. Our aim each day should be to please God. And we see Paul verifying this desire in these words that he wrote to these believers. So we see Paul wrote this letter and specifically these words of rebuke in chapter one for several reasons. Now let's go through these reasons real quickly. We're gonna run through the first few because we've already touched base on the first few reasons of why Paul wrote these words of rebuke, why chapter one lays out as it does. So we'll hit these pretty quick. Uh, as we make our way through. The first reason Paul wrote these words in this letter, and specifically these words rebuke, was because Paul was an apostle of God. God called and equipped Paul to preach and teach the gospel. God called and equipped Paul to write these words. He wrote these words because Paul was an apostle. Secondly, Paul wrote these words because Paul loved these believers. If you look real quickly at verse 3, you'll see Paul wrote, grace to you and peace from God the Father, and say that next word with me, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for what? Our sins. To rescue who? Us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Paul was sharing with these believers right from the very start that they were family. They were his brothers and sisters in Jesus. He loved them. That's why Paul wrote these words to them. A third reason Paul wrote these words is because Paul wanted to please God. He wanted to please God. Paul wrote what God asked him to write. Paul taught what God asked him to teach. Paul preached what God asked him to preach. Paul went where God asked him to go. Paul did what God asked him to do because Paul wanted to please God. Paul knew this. His faith in God expressed by his obedience to God pleased God. And we know this is true for us as well today. Our faith in God expressed through our obedience to God is pleasing to God. A fourth reason Paul wrote these words is because Paul spoke for God. We see in verses 11 and 12 in chapter 1, Paul wrote, For what I want you to, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, there it is again, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. As we shared last Sunday, the false teachers and Judaizers, these Jewish false teachers and Judaizers, they did not believe Paul was a genuine, true apostle. And they said, since Paul was not a genuine, true apostle of God, then his message, his preaching, and his teaching was not from God. It was man-made. It was made up by Paul or those who taught Paul. What these false teachers, Judaizers, were saying is Paul was inferior 
to the disciples of Jesus, to the other disciples of Jesus, inferior completely. And so Paul responded here in verses 11 and 12, and Paul said, I did not, listen, I want you to know, he said, I did not receive the gospel from a human source. I was not taught the gospel by a human source. And the gospel I preached to you was not of human origin. What Paul was saying was, I didn't make it up. I didn't make this up. Paul said, the gospel I received, the gospel I was taught, the gospel I preached to you was from God. And he said it was by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I received the gospel about Jesus from Jesus on the Damascus road. Paul said, I was taught the gospel and God's truth by Jesus. Therefore, Paul was saying, I am in no way inferior to the other 12 disciples of Jesus. Paul said, I was called by Jesus just like they were. I was taught by Jesus just like they were. I was trained by Jesus just like they were. I spoke the gospel of Jesus just like they did. You see, Paul was a guy who shared God's message in God's strength for God's glory. And he was combating these false teachers who were continually trying to ridicule him. We are called to share God's message in God's strength for God's glory. Amen? We're called every day to follow this example that we see laid out in Scripture. Many of the heroes of the faith, and certainly we see this with Paul. And so we continue now to look at the fifth reason Paul wrote these words. And we see Paul uh, wrote these words because Paul was changed by God. He was changed by God. Look at what Paul wrote in verse 13. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. Notice first, Paul started verse 13, like I've been sharing the last couple of weeks, with the first word for, the transition word for, just like he did in verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12. Paul, in verse 13, among other things, offered more evidence. He's now offering more evidence, more proof here. Beginning in verse 13, there's a shift in verse 13. He's, he's offering more evidence that his words were from God, not him. He's saying, listen, I'm going to give you more evidence because you obviously need it. My words and my message was not from me. It was from God. And he shared this evidence in proof. His proof was his testimony. His proof was his testimony of how God changed his life. And he's getting ready to share his testimony with us, beginning in verse 13. A side note for us, a testimony is an excellent and effective way for us to witness for Jesus. A testimony is an excellent way. It's an effective way for us to witness for Jesus because a testimony is simply the story of how God has changed our lives. As followers of Jesus Christ, every one of us has a testimony. And here's something about our testimonies. Every one of us has a testimony as a follower of Jesus Christ. And guess what? We are all experts on our testimony. You're an expert on your testimony. No one can debate it. No one can deny it. I'm an expert on my testimony. You're an expert on yours. Paul was an expert on his. And we're going to see here, real clearly, a testimony, a personal testimony, Paul's and yours and mine, should really simply focus on three simple points. That's, that's really what a testimony should focus on. And Paul's going to do it here. Three simple points. Number one, who we were before we met Jesus. 
Number two, how and when we met Jesus. And number three, how our life is now different because of Jesus. It's a testimony of God's change in our lives in Christ Jesus. And Paul's saying that. Paul said, for you have heard. He's shifting and he's now sharing more evidence. He said, for you have heard. Let's stop there. You have heard is in the aorist tense. That means it's an action from the past. So here he's hitting the first point. Paul is bringing them back and reminding them. He's letting them know before faith in Jesus, this is who I was. He said, I'm sharing my testimony with you. And he's saying, for you have heard. This is who Paul was before he placed his faith in Jesus. Now, I want you to notice, quick note, two simple points about Paul's words, for you have heard. He said, for you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. For you have heard is a key verb here. For you have heard. First point, they would have heard. These believers would have heard from Paul. What we're getting ready to tell you is what they heard, but they would have heard from Paul. Remember, Paul and Barnabas planted these churches, these four churches in particular that Galatians is written to. They planted these churches and they taught these churches the good news of the gospel during the first missionary journey. They planted all four of these churches as they went through their missionary journey and they ultimately left and went back to Antioch. We know without question because he's referencing it, Paul and Barnabas, but in particular Paul, would have told these believers when he planted the churches and when he was teaching these churches, he would have certainly told these believers his testimony about how God had changed his life. So when he says, for you have heard, he's reminding them of what his testimony was, which he had already told them. And so it would have triggered in them, okay, yeah, you're right, we've heard. You did tell us about this. Secondly, though, I think it's safe for us to summarize that these believers would also have heard from the false teachers and Judaizers. Because we know the false teachers and Judaizers were constantly coming at Paul, accusing him falsely, ridiculing him. So it's safe for us to surmise, based on this teaching and his defense, that these false teachers would certainly have used Paul's past against him with these believers. They would have certainly more than likely said things such as, you cannot believe Paul. You can't follow Paul. You can't trust Paul. Don't you know? Don't you remember? He used to arrest and imprison Christians just like you. He used to hurt and harm Christians just like you. There's no way you can trust him. So we see this would have been familiar to them. As he's shifting here into his testimony, he would have told them about how God changed him, but these false teachers more like would have been ridiculing him from about his past to them, which is obviously the work of Satan because what does Satan try to do to us today? He tries to use our past to paralyze us in the present. He tries to use our past to keep us chained to the past so that we don't move forward by faith in the present and future. He says, for 
you have heard. And then he says, about my former way of life in Judaism. So here we find out, here Paul is going, he's making his way through his testimony. Before Paul came to faith in Christ, he was committed to Judaism. Judaism was a religion that was based on Old Testament teaching. Judaism is a religion still based on Old Testament teaching. Judaism taught that obedience to the Old Testament law was necessary for salvation. Judaism taught salvation by good works, not by God's grace. There were several different groups of Jews that made up Judaism. Several different groups of Jews that made up Judaism. The Pharisees were the largest group of Jews within Judaism, and Paul, before Christ, was a Pharisee. Philippians 3.5, if you're taking notes, jot that passage down. Philippians 3.5, Paul shared this personal testimony with the believers in Philippi. Paul said this, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, born of Hebrews. He's sharing his Jewish heritage. Regarding the law, he said, here it is, a Pharisee. Paul said, I was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the group of Jews, many of them scholarly, well-learned Jews, who developed the oral law that went along with and was added to and piled on top of the written law of the Old Testament. The Pharisees, if you remember, certainly with your knowledge of the Gospels in the New Testament, the Pharisees opposed Jesus all the time. They were always in a battle with Jesus. Pharisees were constantly opposing Jesus during his earthly ministry. And the Pharisees also opposed the church beginning in Acts and following and here in these churches. And God will tell you, they were constantly opposing Christ and those who followed Christ. Why? Because Jesus rejected their belief in salvation by works and Jesus rejected their oral law interpretations. And he constantly called them on the carpet. And as you remember, as you understand the Gospels, these Pharisees were constantly confounded because they could not match up with Jesus and his wisdom and his knowledge. And they were confounded. And so they were always frustrated. And we know what that ultimately led to in relationship to the cross of Calvary. And so he then highlights, Paul highlights two points about his former way of life in Judaism. Two points we see right here in this passage that we want to look at real quickly. Number one, the first point was Paul was on a mission. Paul was on a mission. He said this, well, you've heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. Paul was on a mission. Persecuted here in the second half of verse 13 is in the imperfect tense. That means it is an action that was repeated continually in the past. It's an action from the past that's repeated over and over and over again. Paul is saying this in the second half of verse 13. I intensely and relentlessly continually persecuted the church. Persecuted God's church. That means I intensely, relentlessly, and continually persecuted Christians in Jerusalem and in the other cities outside of Jerusalem. And I did this day after day, week after week, month after month, over and over again. I wanted to destroy the church, he said. 
He said, I intensely persecuted God's church. I, I persecuted Christians because I wanted to destroy the church. Nothing stopped me in my attack on God's church. Paul also, at this point in time, again, this is his testimony prior to coming to faith in Christ, Paul deemed Jewish Christians, Jews who became followers of Jesus, he deemed them as the worst kind of traitors, the worst, as did all Orthodox Jews who were continuing in Judaism, which that was Paul. He was on a mission. However, when Paul placed his faith in Jesus, Paul changed from a persecutor of Christians to a preacher to Christians, which you know as well as I do, enraged the Jews. It enraged them. They lost their minds. That's why they chased Paul everywhere trying to kill him. They wanted to put Paul to death. They were so angry with him. And they literally chased him throughout his missionary journeys trying to kill him, beating him, throwing him in prison. And we see, as you trace Paul's ministry, late in his life, as Paul is ultimately going to go to Rome, where he would appear before the emperor there in Rome, and ultimately God would call him home. As he was getting close to that time in his life, throughout his ministry, as his ministry was coming in, Paul appeared to King Agrippa. King Agrippa was a Roman official in charge of Jerusalem, in charge of the temple, and he was arrested by the Jews, and they brought him before King Agrippa because they wanted him to be put to death. And so Paul comes before King Agrippa, and the scene is set, and Paul is going to have an opportunity to speak to King Agrippa uh, and to share with King Agrippa the reason why he had been arrested, the reason why he was being tried. He was going to share with him a response to what all these accusations had been cast against him. And what he told King Agrippa in, in a summary sentence was, the reason why I am arrested, the reason why I've been tried, the reason why I'm going to talk to you is because of my hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He summarized it in that way. Because he had been changed by God. By God's grace to his faith in Christ Jesus. But in Acts 26, Acts 26, if you want to turn real quick to the left, Acts 26, what we see happening is Luke records this conversation. He's on the scene, and Luke records Paul as Paul is talking to King Agrippa. And what I want us to look at in particular is when he shared his story with King Agrippa, Paul shared about his former way of life in Judaism, and Paul shared how much he wanted to kill and destroy the church. And he shared in Acts 26, in verse 9, in fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison, since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. So he watched Christ followers be executed, and he was in agreement. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and, get this, tried to make them blaspheme. Since, he said, I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. Paul is saying here in his testimony, I was on a mission. I admit it. I was on a mission, and I wanted to destroy 
God's church. I did a lot of bad things before God saved me. The second point he makes here in Galatians chapter 1 is Paul was ranked number one. Paul was not only on a mission, but he was ranked number one. Look at verse 14. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. So Paul here is saying that he was at the top of the class of persecutors of God's church. That's what he was saying. He says, I was ranked number one. He said this. He said, I advanced in Judaism. Advanced means literally I cut forward or I chopped down. Advanced, I advanced in Judaism means I cut forward, I chopped down. What Paul is saying was I was blazing a trail in Judaism And I was blazing a trail in Judaism. I was so zealous that I was cutting down anyone that would get in my way of trying to destroy God's church. I cut down even Christians because I was passionately desiring to destroy God's church. He even said, went so far as to say, as Luke shared with us in Acts, he said, I even tried to get the Christians to blaspheme. What does that mean? It means I was trying to cut down these Christians. I was trying to destroy the church. And when I arrested some of these Christians, I even tried to get these Christians by threat of their life to renounce their faith and trust in Jesus. He said, I tried to get them to blaspheme. I was trying to get them to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. And we know the reason why Paul was doing this was because he was dead in his sins and transgressions. We also know why, because he told us why. He said, I did this because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Extremely zealous means this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Extremely zealous means extremely zealous. That's what it means. He says, I was extremely zealous. Get his language. I intensely persecuted. I was extremely zealous. He said, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. That is a reference to the oral law interpretations by the Pharisees and their Jewish rabbis that were added to the written law of the Old Testament. Paul was blazing this trail and he was zealous because of all that he had studied in Judaism. He was ranked number one. He wanted to please people, the Jews, the Pharisees. He wanted to, he was, he was zealous for the traditions of his ancestors. The oral law was added to the written law of the Old Testament. And for many Jews, the oral law became as important as the written law of the Old Testament. The oral law was all the interpretations and all the rules and regulations that were added to the Old Testament written law. And The traditions that he's referring to here of his ancestors, the written and oral law, specifically the oral law that was added to the written law, these traditions made it impossible for anyone, Jewish rabbis or anyone else, to know all of them fully and to be able to obey them. He was just pushing hard after because he was a zealous. He'd been brought up as this Jew of Jews, this Pharisee of Pharisees. He'd been brought up and he was going after the church. He saw those Jewish Christians in particular as traitors. He wanted to destroy 
the church. I love what one Bible scholar said. Paul was indeed sincere, but sincerely wrong. He was indeed sincere, but sincerely wrong. You know that could be true of us today. As far as Jesus Christ, we can be sincere. But the thing is, and the greater question is, are we sincerely right or wrong? Paul, prior to Jesus, was sincere as you can be. And he would have told you he was right as right could be. And that drove the words he spoke and the actions that he took. But Paul, praise God, found out he was sincerely wrong. And for us as followers of Christ, it's a good warning for us because we can be sincere. We can be sincere in our thoughts. <laughs> and when we're sincere in our thoughts, it'll lead us to say things and do things. But at times the problem with that is we find out that we were sincerely wrong. Sincere, yes, but sincerely wrong. And so this is where Paul now takes us. He gives us this picture prior to faith in Christ. Now look at what he says in verse 15. I love this. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased. So here we see the transition. Transition is in verse 15. Verse 15 is a transition verse. From pre-conversion to conversion, from pre-salvation to salvation, from who Paul was before he met Jesus to who Paul was by faith in Jesus. Here's what we know. Paul was traveling 100 miles an hour in Judaism. He was trying to destroy God's church. He was extremely zealous for the oral law. He was doing everything he could to destroy Christians. He was deep in his sin and his separation from God, and he was barreling 100 miles an hour towards that sin and fulfilling his sinful desires. And then we see what Paul wrote in verse 15, but when God, say that with me out loud, but when God, say it again, but when God, what is he saying here? God intervened in his life. God produced change in Paul's life. God saved Paul by his grace through Paul's response of faith in Jesus. This is the beauty of the testimony, but when God, you see every one of our testimonies has that same passage, but when God. And we see here that there's another note. I don't want you to miss this. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace. What is he saying there? He's saying God's call on my life was set by God before my birth. Therefore, my message and ministry couldn't be from me or from any other man. It only had to be from God because it was set in place before my birth. And the beauty of this passage is simply this. Paul's testimony is the same as our testimony. You see, each one of us at some point in time in our lives, as we look back in our lives, we were traveling 100 miles an hour in our sin and rebellion against God. We were traveling 100 miles an hour in our opposition to God. We were doing what we wanted to do. We were going where we wanted to go. We were saying what we wanted to say. We thought we knew everything, and we were barreling 100 miles an hour toward a collision course with the fires of hell. But when God, say that with me, out loud. But when God, when God intervened in our lives, he produced change in us. God saved us by his grace through our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. What an awesome testimony 
Paul had. It's the testimony that you and I have that every follower of Jesus Christ has. Paul shared this testimony in a summarized form with us in Ephesians chapter 2. Real quick, turn to your right, just a page or two. Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to see the summary of this testimony. Because this is a summary of your testimony and my testimony. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedience, that's obviously Satan. We too, Paul said, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the other Others were also, but God, there it is in verse four, say it out loud, but God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Praise God. That's a hallelujah point. Shout hallelujah. Man, that's awesome. But God, but God, but God, rich in mercy and love, saved us by his grace. Every one of us has a testimony as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the testimony is simply this. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see because of what God has done in me in Christ Jesus. And he continued, look at this, he continued in verse 16. He said, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So here we go. When God was pleased to reveal his son in me, that Paul is saying, that simply means when God saved me by his grace through my response of faith in Christ Jesus, God saved Paul. But then he said, God also called him to preach him among the Gentiles. So God saved Paul by his grace through Paul's faith in Christ Jesus, and God called Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and Paul obeyed. And guess what? God has done something similar with you and me. God has saved us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, and God has called us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey and observe all that Jesus has commanded us in his word. And oh, by the way, as we go, we're to remember that God is with us every step of our way to the end of the age. And like Paul, it's important for us, it's imperative for us, we must obey God as well. And so what Paul is saying here and what we see being borne out with this testimony that we'll continue to look at in the coming weeks, this, this testimony, what he's saying is this, Paul's time in Judaism, Paul's own background, his time in Judaism proved that his change, his calling, his message, and his ministry was from God, not man. Because there is no other way to explain the change in his life. There's no other way how this one named Saul became known as Paul. Other than Almighty God. It's God. It's got to be God. There is literally no other way to explain the change in his life. That's what he was saying. And we also know this. Listen to this. This is so beautiful how God works in our lives. Paul's time in Judaism also proved that if Judaism and the pathway to God was by works, Paul would have never left Judaism. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was at the top of the class. 
Paul knew better than anyone Judaism and its beliefs. And Paul knew better than anyone that Judaism and his belief and teaching of salvation by works was wrong. Paul knew salvation was by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. So here's our question, right? In these moments, so what? So what? So what do we do now? What does this mean for you and for me today, this week? So what? What am I supposed to do with this? Well, the application this morning is real simple. It's one point, one word. The application is simple. The application is simply this. Rejoice. 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 That's the application. Rejoice. Say that with me out loud. Rejoice. That's the application. Now, there's three ways we're going to apply it. Number one, rejoice. God changed Paul. Paul didn't hide his past. Paul didn't excuse his past. Paul didn't blame his past on others. Hello. Paul didn't blame his past on others. And Paul did not glamorize how sinful his past was. Paul used his past and how God changed him to magnify and glorify God in the present and future. God's change in Paul was a trophy of God's grace to Paul. Rejoice, God changed Paul. That's encouraging to you and me today. God changed Paul. Second application of this is rejoice, God changed us. We were once dead in our sins. We were once separated from God because of our sin against God. We were traveling 100 miles an hour towards the collision course with the fires of hell for all eternity. But God, rich in grace, mercy, and love, he saved us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. We know that when God forgives us, he cleanses us of our sins, and he forgets our sins. He places them as far as the east is from the west. This means we don't have to hide our past. We don't have to excuse our past. We certainly don't blame our past on others, and we don't glamorize how sinful our past was. No, we use our past and how God has supernaturally changed us to magnify and glorify and praise and honor God in the present and the future. Because I want you to understand, God's change in us is a trophy of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus. So we can rejoice. God changed Paul. We can rejoice. God changed us. You can rejoice because God changed you. And then we can rejoice because God can change others. We need to tell others that Jesus Christ took their place on the cross and paid their price for sin. We need to tell others that a relationship with God and forgiveness of sins is available by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. We need to tell others Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one gets to God except through him. We need to tell others that new and abundant and eternal life is found with God by faith in Christ Jesus. We need to rejoice because God can change others. Now, I want you to understand, and I think you do. You'll be right there with me. There's not been a lot of rejoicing. Over these past months, there's not been a lot of rejoicing. Hey, listen, rejoicing has been in short supply. And we understand this because the world doesn't have anything to rejoice over, quite honestly. But the truth is there's been a short supply of rejoicing in the church. Rejoicing 
has been knocked down on the list of things to do for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so what this word teaches us this morning is, hey, listen, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. If there's anybody who can rejoice, it's those of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's us. It's us. Rejoice. We can rejoice because our God is the God who answers prayer. We can rejoice because our God is the God who changes lives. We can rejoice because our God is the God who comforts us. We can rejoice because our God is the God who encourages us. We can rejoice because our God is the God who forgives us. We can rejoice because our God is the God who heals us. We can rejoice because our God is the God who helps us. We can rejoice because our God is the God who loves us. We can rejoice because our God is the God who ministers to and through us. We can rejoice because our God is the God who provides for us. We can rejoice because our God is the God who sustains us. We can rejoice because our God is the God who strengthens us. We can rejoice because our God is the God who transforms us. We can rejoice because our God is the God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. We can rejoice Rejoice because our God's grace is sufficient for us and his power is perfected in our weakness. We can rejoice because our God is at work in us to will and to work according to his good purpose. We can rejoice because our God is carrying on his work in us until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. We can rejoice because our God will empower us to do everything he has asked us to do. We can rejoice because greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. We can rejoice because our God is the God who saves. Our God, our God is the God who saves. We can rejoice in the Lord always. As Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And there's the key, rejoice in the Lord. What we have to do, if it's gonna create a change, in the church and outside the church, what has to happen is the church, the body of Christ, that's you and me, we have to stop looking to the world and we have to stop looking at others and we have to stop looking into ourselves and we gotta start looking up to Jesus. And as we look up to Jesus, we're gonna find out that we have every reason to rejoice. Why? Because we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus.